Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. This is Vip Jaswal, and I'd like to welcome you to a dose of reality because that's what I think you'd like to hear. In my life, keeping it real is not a punchline, but the core of my philosophy, and I'm sure most of you feel the same way. We live in a diverse world, and what a wonderful world it's come to be. Diversity in its truest form enriches our lives in so many ways, and to most of us, it's become second nature to our existence, so much so that we don't even have to consciously think about it. Diversity in its essence means accepting and respecting everyone around us regardless of their heritage, beliefs, or anything else that symbolizes them. Yet, are we truly diverse? Maybe, maybe not. I think what we really need to focus our energy on is that before we aim to be good, we must ensure that our objective is to do good. You see, our children will judge us not by our riches, but by the lives that we enriched. Our success will be determined by the progress we've made as a civilization, not by how we segregated gender, race, color, or anything else. Recently, Starbucks tried to promote an initiative on racial issues by putting the two words race together on the cups of coffee that you buy. The chief executive of Starbucks, Mr. Howard Schultz, said that the two words of race together were to be a catalyst for a much broader and longer-term conversation. But the only catalyst I want when I enter Starbucks is the caffeine from a grande java chip light frappuccino. The only talk about color that I want when I enter a Starbucks is that of my coffee, usually black but sometimes white. How can I expect to appreciate Mr. Schultz's motive of promoting social issues when he does not appreciate his customers who are simply coming in for his coffee and not his sense of righteousness? Starbucks has faced much criticism about this campaign, and possibly rightly so. What they fail to realize is that don't take your loyal customers for granted and try to instill what you think is right. The consumer is not stupid. What has really happened here is that they've tried to do the right thing in the wrong way at the wrong place and definitely at the wrong time. In fact, I'm not even sure why there was a need for this because I don't recall any race issues happening at a Starbucks to prompt such a campaign. Customers go there to relax and get rejuvenated. They do not go there for a lesson on human rights. In fact, here is my question to Starbucks. They claim... Their mission is to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. But wait a minute. How many Starbucks are there in low-income neighborhoods? How come your average cup of coffee is beyond the reach of low-income households? You see, if anything, your motto should not be race together, but coffee together. Because low-income households should be able to enjoy the delicious coffee you serve as much as anyone else. Now that is coffee for thought. The moral of this story should be, serve coffee, not race, and leave the colors of our face for another time and another place. But having said all that, it was a noble, if a pathetic, attempt on behalf of Starbucks to try and be more than what they should be. Now, here's another real story that'll make you proud of being American, because if you think we need diversity over a cup of coffee, then the story you're about to hear shows that these guys definitely need more than diversity over a cup of sake. Japan 
recently held a beauty pageant and the newly crowned Miss Universe Japan provoked an uproar because she was not Japanese enough. Miss Miyamoto is the pageant's first mixed race winner, being born to a Japanese mother and an African-American father. But her critics state that she is not a pure Japanese and that is why she should not be allowed to hold the crown. This is reminiscent of the same approach that Adolf Hitler had towards the Aryan race. And it's a paradox because she was allowed to participate. But I guess she was allowed to do so as long as she did not win. Can you imagine if this ever happened in the U.S.? Well, I can't imagine it because it would not happen. And that's the beauty of living in this great country, the U.S. of A. If anything, Starbucks needs to continue its Race Together campaign but only in Japan. They might have better luck there, and it's obvious that the Japanese need a stronger dose of diversity than we do. I was recently invited by the U.S. National Guard and the Department of Defense to speak about diversity, and when they invited me, I told them that I pull no punches when I get to the podium. You see, I like to say what I feel, and I don't always agree with the majority. And in true military spirit, they welcomed me. And what you will hear will be that speech as it was given word for word. I talk about my perspective on America's diversity issues. I address the N-word, the inequality of diversity, the bizarre world of political correctness, and what the real purpose of diversity should be, and why it sometimes gets lost in translation. I hope you enjoy hearing it as much as I enjoyed giving it. People described it as powerful and provocative, but I like to think of it as plain common sense. So here it is. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to start by doing another thank you to the men in bow ties, Mr. Alfred Adur and Mr. Gary Robinson. <laughs> Players, some people in my position standing before you might say they are humbled to be here. I'm a little different because I'm little. And I'm also a little different. I'm not humbled to be here. I'm proud to be here. I get to speak in front of such a distinguished audience. And this is one of those moments in life that makes me proud. I'm proud to be in the presence of patriots. I'm proud to be in the same room as those who fight for me and my fellow civilians so that we can be free to be proud. And I'm proud to be in front of those who fight for equality, opportunity, and diversity. So I was really excited when I was invited to speak today, and I'm a mummy's boy. I called my mom, and as expected, she was proud. We're a very proud family, as you can see. But then I called my mother-in-law. I told her the good news. She wasn't in the least bit excited, but then I've always felt that she lacked a pulse. She said, you're the obvious choice for such a grand occasion. You're vertically limited at five foot four inches short. You speak in a funny accent. You're neither black or white. You're more like 50 shades of beige. <laughs> you have paralysis on the right side of your tongue, which I do. Uh, you have the attention span of a lightning bolt. And you look like the love child of Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. You're the ideal choice for today's event. Well, her comments were as welcoming as an ice-cold bedpan. 
So for Christmas, I'm going to get her a one-way ticket to Syria. The travel brochure says she's guaranteed to have a blast. (laughs) I told my wife the good news. Her eyes nearly popped out. She had to take a seat. I guess the moral of that story is behind every successful man is a very surprised wife. I get invited to speak a lot about diversity, strategy, and leadership, and a lot of other good stuff. But whenever I'm asked to speak about diversity, I like to give a quote. And yesterday we saw videos of some great people in humanity. One of them was Mahatma Gandhi. And I think his quote is actually the most valuable quote for diversity for me. And his quote is something like this. It goes something like this. I want the cultures of all lands to be blown about my house as freely as possible. But I refuse to be blown off my feet by any. Gandhi was very tolerant of other people's beliefs, but he made it very clear that he demanded respect and acceptance for his own beliefs too. And then the definition of diversity in the dictionary. The one I like is, The relation that holds between two entities when and only when they're not identical. In that case, we have diversity all around us. In fact, marriage and family are one of the most diverse institutions we live in. Let's take marriage. Ask my wife how we manage to live together being such different people. She gave me two two reasons. She said she's intelligent, she's beautiful, and opposites attract. She said we take time to go to a restaurant twice a week. There's candlelight, good food, good music. She goes on Mondays, I go on Thursdays. (laughs) But you know, I do enjoy talking about diversity because I talk from experience. And I'm privileged that in my life I've experienced diversity in many forms and in many places. I've been a victim of it and I've been successful because of it. The most awkward question one can ask of me is, where are you from? And I know some of you did ask me that yesterday, and I sounded a little hesitant, but I was doing you all a favor. You see, here's the problem. I was born in the United Kingdom, but after three weeks of birth, I was living on a ship with my father, who was a captain of a cargo vessel. So I lived at sea for about eight years. Uh, if If he tried to pull that stunt now, I think they'd have child services right up his behind. Um, We then moved to Korea when I was eight. We lived in Busan, and then we lived in Seoul. We then moved to Japan, where I lived in Tokyo, and then Osaka. We then moved to Australia, where I lived in Sydney and Brisbane. We then moved to New Zealand. Then we moved to Singapore, and then to the United Kingdom. I've been to 10 schools in five countries from the age of 10 to the age of 18. So when someone asks me that question, I normally answer by saying, how much time do you have? (laughs) Growing up in these different countries was one hell of an experience, because in those days there wasn't much knowledge about diversity, and I was always the victim of racism, bullying, and probably the worst feeling in the world is when a community isolates you just for being different. I've been spat upon, I've been beaten, I've been abused at, I've been humiliated. Um, In fact, when I would go to the zoo, I would feel so paranoid because whenever I passed the monkey cage, 
I could always, I got this feeling that I could communicate with them and, and, and they would be pointing at me. And I, I, I guess they were saying, what are you doing out there? Get back in. <laughs> in Australia, I experienced racism through expression and violence. In Japan, I experienced racism through isolation. I didn't know which one was worse. And another funny thing, I was beaten for dating a white girl. And a few weeks after that, I was beaten for dating a black girl. It's not easy being me. The rapper Jay-Z has only 99 problems. I have a few more. But you know what the biggest problem was? I never knew which part of me they were upset about. Was it my color, my face, my race, my height, my inability to speak, or was it just because I was a moron? That to me was more confusing and frustrating than their misunderstood hatred. And just like the dictionary definition said, there was no relation that bound the others and myself because diversity and understanding didn't really exist in those parts of the world in those days. But I learned three very important lessons very early on in life. I had the choice of either having the mindset of a victim or the mindset of a victor. And I decided that I definitely didn't want to be part of the pity party. I didn't want to succumb. I wanted to overcome. You see, it's never the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the Yorkie teacup puppy. The second lesson I learned was, the world owes me nothing. It's what I bring to the table that matters. And the third lesson was that people's opinion of me does not have to become a reality. Never let people determine your self-worth. It's more important to be respected than it is to be liked. You'll never be liked by everyone, but your haters and your admirers can always respect you. I'm not particularly talented. I don't have great qualifications. In fact, I started my working life owning a sandwich shop, which went into bankruptcy. You see, I'm the only guy in the world who couldn't make a sandwich. And I was so poor from that experience, I used to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken and lick other people's fingers. But I picked myself up. I went back to school. I used my international experience to find an international career because being international was the only quality I had at that time. I started my professional career in finance specializing in international crisis management. Wherever there was trouble, there was me. Not because I caused it, I was there to solve it. I started in Hong Kong. I then moved to Indonesia, then I went to the Philippines, then I went to Japan, then I went to Thailand, then I went to Bangladesh, then to the UK, and then I came to rest in this great country, the U.S. of A. Most of you are Americans by coincidence, but I am an American by choice. I'm proud to be part of this great country for many, many reasons. And let me tell you, if the world has to learn about diversity, then let America be its teacher. Because nowhere else in the world does diversity work better than in America. And I can say that because I've been around the block and the world just a little bit. 
I couldn't achieve what I have today if I was not in America. You see, I went from being bankrupt to the banking industry to the media industry. And in the media industry, I went from being a media executive to a radio show host with my very own hour every Sunday on Fox News Radio. And yes, the right side of my tongue is paralyzed. I do speak in a funny accent, but I don't care what my haters say because I might be five foot four inches, I might be a shade of beige, but to my haters all I can say is that diversity works in America. You see, in life, pity and sympathy you can get for free. But jealousy is something you have to earn. I love my haters because I know then that I'm doing something right. I don't have qualifications, but I realize that in a world of discrimination, the qualities that I bring should always outshine the prejudices and presumptions people have of me. Your success becomes your qualification. I learned that having a strong work ethic, being able to lead others, being loyal, having a strong self-belief, and the ability to convince others that I will reward the risk that they take in me has always gone beyond discrimination. But I could not be who I am today anywhere else in the world because the rest of the world does not operate as diversely as America. America believes in diversity, believes in opportunity, and just like the dictionary said, believes in creating relationships between unidentical entities. The victim of my past has been given the opportunity to be a success for the future. But only in America. So what is diversity in today's world? Well, diversity really is a sense of irony in today's world because it can be manipulated to suit anyone and everyone. Everyone has a point of difference. Everyone feels they have a right to be included. However, it's a known fact of life that you can please some of the people some of the time, but you cannot please all the people all of the time. Here's an irony that I find that exists in America today when the tragedy of 9-11 happened. I saw Americans come together like never before. It didn't matter who you were, but we were one. But as the shock of 9-11 faded away over the years, we Americans started to highlight our differences. Excuse me, highlight our differences. It's a pity that tragedy brings us together and eliminates our differences, but peace drives us apart and highlights our differences. Diversity has pitfalls. There's a lot of stuff that's thrown into the diversity makes one of these things is this new age phrase called being politically correct. Have you ever wondered why it's not called being culturally correct? What, what's politics got to do with it? I'm a new American, so I see things a little differently. But I do see things with the eyes of diversity. A few years ago, a radio show host called Imus made some negative remarks about a women's basketball team. He was rightfully corrected. But on the other hand, I noticed that the music industry, particularly hip-hop, use similar negative terms, particularly towards women. And they get away with it. How does that work? On one end you get fired, and the other end you get paid. Here's another contradiction I see in American society. The N-word. I have black and African-American friends. They tell me they use the N-word among themselves as a term of endearment. But if any other race uses it, it's considered derogatory. Let's take a step back, shall we? For me, this term was originally used as an insult and carries the blood, the tears, the pain of ancestors who were slaves. 
They fought for freedom, and the best answer my friends can say that it's a term of endearment. How does that work? It doesn't make sense. I wonder if their ancestors looking down upon them would feel the same way. They didn't tell me they've taken that word away from the whites and they own the word. How do you own a word? Here's a lesson I learned in my life about engaging in diversity. When you do right, it will be right for some, but not always right for all. But when you do wrong, it usually is wrong for all and not just wrong for some. The pitfall of diversity here is imbalance and inequality. Let me give you another example. The State Department advised that common phrases like let's go Dutch, hold down the fort, rule of thumb could be considered offensive and to avoid using it really. Do we not have better things to do with our time? Is this what my tax dollars are being used for? These sort of statements in the interest of promoting diversity actually insult our intelligence, not to mention making us a laughing stock in front of the world. The pitfall of diversity here is getting too petty-minded, overly sensitive. One assumption I had coming to America is that it was a true example of a tolerant society. But maybe, in some ways, I was yet to be enlightened. I want to share a personal example of my experience in such a pitfall in the area of political correctness. I came to America in 2002. I was working for a global bank at the time. And in December of that year, I sent my colleagues Christmas cards and wished everyone a Merry Christmas. A practice that I've been doing for decades all around the world in Asia, Europe, and Middle East. When I returned to work after the Christmas holidays, I was summoned by the Human Resources Department to go for counseling sessions because I had offended people who do not celebrate Christmas and are not Christian. Mm. I couldn't believe what I was hearing because everywhere around the world people say Merry Christmas, but in America I was supposed to say Happy Holidays. I thought Sunday was a holiday. Christmas, God damn it, is Christmas. You see, I'm not a Christian. I'm not Jewish. I'm not Muslim. But I love Christmas. Actually, I love anything that involves a celebration. So if you're celebrating something, so am I. I argued this with the uh, Human Resources Counseling, and they found me to be too uh, offensive. I wonder why. Um, and then, they, uh, then I had to go for disciplinary hearing all over Christmas. Then in my son's school, I became a blacklisted parent. Not a whitelisted one, but a blacklisted one. Because they called the Christmas tree a friendship tree. And I disagreed with the establishment because I know a Christmas tree when I see one. And how does a festive icon become something else? My atheist friends wanted to rename the tree so that they could put it in their homes during Christmas time without feeling guilty of it being associated with religion. I said, why don't you get a cactus tree? No one's celebrating that one yet. <laughs> and it'll last you all year long. And here's the irony in all of this. I was fighting the fight all alone. The Christian parents were very quiet. They secretly agreed with me, but didn't come forward to support me. All I was asking was, acknowledge what is right. Christmas is part of our American heritage. Are we not proud of our heritage? Why will we not defend our heritage? 
In fact, I was so enraged by all of this, I did a radio show and I called it, Are Christians the Weakest Defenders of Their Faith? Because if you tried to pull this stunt on any other faith, they'd be held to pay. You'd be accused of blasphemy. How does wishing someone with a festive greeting become offensive or a personal insult? If we stop saying things because it may offend people, the silence of the world will be deafening. And of course, when I say that, some people will accuse me of being insensitive, but I'm talking about using common sense and logic. And sir, as you said, it's not rocket science. Diversity isn't rocket science. You know, rockets go up and then they stay there or come down and that's about it. We don't want something that goes up and then comes down. We want, we want to be in a situation in a world where we defy gravity. I'm talking about being proud of who you are and what you represent. We are part of a melting pot, but we should not melt away. You know, in essence, the purpose of diversity is about increasing what you have. It's not about diluting yourself at the cost of someone else. It's about increasing your strength, not weakening it. It's a bit like marriage. No marriage can succeed if one partner dominates the relationship, in theory. <laughs> you see, I don't use Google at home because my wife says she knows everything. But all successful relationships have three personalities, you, your partner, and the relationship itself. The biggest challenge of diversity is to judge what is right and what is wrong. Silence alone is not the cure. Restraint is not a cure. You'll never be able to please everyone all at once. My neighbor thinks he's, I'm white. I haven't told him the, 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 the bad news. My other neighbor thinks I'm black, and I haven't told them the good news either. But my neighbors think their community is too diverse. I told them, your car is German, your pizza is Italian, your kebabs Turkish, your coffee is South American, your tea is Chinese, your clothes are Indian, your oil is Saudi Arabian, your carpet is Persian, and you're complaining that your neighbors are immigrants. I could have told him to get a life, but I said, this is life. The role of America in global diversity well, that's an interesting one. Let's start with the facts. The Charities Aid Foundation shows that America is the most charitable and in, in, in the world in terms of monetary giving and volunteering. America is also one of the world's most ethnically diverse and multicultural nations in the world. And because of this, we actually know more about diversity than any other nation I've lived in. As a nation, America is at the forefront of handling and managing diversity in more ways than any other country in the world. So if we are so diverse and our nation is composed of so many cultures, why does America suffer from increased criticism across the world? Part of the problem, I think, lies in us. And I know that sounds surprising, but in the effort to be tolerant and act in a non-prejudicial manner, we've in some way lost sight of ourselves and purpose. So why is it that being the most giving nation that we're not the most popular? The fact is that, not, that many parts of the world are actually very simply jealous of our success and the interpretation of jealousy as I said was that you're usually doing something right we're blessed, we work hard to be who we are others see it differently when I deal with people abroad they regard America's generosity as their birthright, they assume we will help at any cost 
In fact, some cultures abroad think we are so giving because we feel guilty about how much we have. They're also suspicious of our generosity. They think we have an ulterior motive. Sometimes you just can't win, can you? We do help, but not because we're obliged to, but because we want to. It's not because it's the, it's, it's because it's the right thing to do, and some nations just can't believe our reason is that simple. Some countries accuse America as interfering in their affairs, but I see it differently. Since America is composed of so many immigrants, we collectively as a country unite to help the roots of that particular immigrant community's motherland. Other countries cannot understand this because their population is not as diverse as ours. And let's look at the private sector in America and abroad. We in America have many more ethnic minorities in senior positions in the corporate world than any other country in the world. India and China have the world's largest population, but if you look at their private sector, you're going to struggle to find many Americans in senior positions. And what better example than having our first black president in the White House? How ironic is that? The utmost significance of our success as a nation in the area of diversity. Try looking for diversity among politicians in other parts of the world. Then look at our politicians in America. They're so diverse, it looks like the bar scene from the movie Star Wars. When Obama was being elected, the world cheered him on. You know why? Because they felt he would disrupt America's perceived white supremacy. The world was ecstatic when Obama came to power. The world was disappointed when we didn't make a negative issue out of it. The world was dying to label us as racists. In fact, we embraced the change, and therein lies our greatness. Now, let's turn the tables. Do you think Obama would have had a chance in China? Do you think Obama would have had a chance in India? Do you think Obama would have had a chance in Indonesia? In fact, he wouldn't have even stood a chance in Kenya. We should be proud of how far we've come in comparison to other nations. In my humble opinion, I'm proud to say that I think we're the best at it. But we cannot stop because diversity will never stop. It continues to evolve and we must in turn evolve in managing it and continue to be an example to the rest of the world. Being aware of diversity is not only an attitude, it's also a skill, but most of all, it's a mindset. People abroad are fascinated with us. They are jealous of our life and the freedom we have. <coughs> Excuse me. They love the Big Mac, the Cadillac, Snoop Dogg, Hot Dogg, Little Wayne, John Wayne, and of course, where would we be without the Kardashians? We are so diverse that we make people famous just for being famous. The global community will always be critical of us from a from more, more from jealousy than any other reason. And remember what I said about jealousy, it's something you earn. It also means you're usually doing something right. Diversity in tomorrow's America, well, that's a funny topic these days because it's not what it used to be. I remember a few decades ago, diversity, in essence, was about being sensitive to minorities. Well, the rules of the game are changing for tomorrow's world. In over 40 U.S. cities, the minority are now the major majority. In over 10 U.S. states, white men are now a minority. More women than men are getting graduate degrees. Our children and the next generation are in for very interesting times because those who were champions of diversity are now going to be the recipients of it. Can you imagine every public corporation saying, oh my gosh, we need a white man on the board. And their reply is going to be, sorry, can't find one. The best already taken. 
To be a leader of diversity is going to be one of the most complex scenarios you'll ever face because it's changing faster than ever. It's not a science. It's not a qualification. It's not something that can really be quantified. It's a mindset, a culture of consciousness, and a sense of awareness. But it's also in the danger of being manipulated because everyone wants to be different, yet everyone wants to be part of the same team. Diversity is not about charity, where only one party is the recipient. It's about enrichment and progress. Both parties need to bring value to the table. Don't bring your history to the table. You don't live there anymore. Bring knowledge, bring experience, hard work, honor, code, loyalty. Make these the backbone of your reason to exist and you'll find that doors will open for you that you never thought existed. These invisible qualities will have very visible results. I get asked to speak at events aimed at addressing prejudice among minorities. My message is very clear to them. I tell these minorities one simple thing, and that is do not be defined by your failures, your weaknesses, and sorrows. Be defined by your strength, your contribution, your success, and your achievements. It's better to die on your feet than to live on your knees. Think ahead. How do you wish your future generations to remember you by? Do you want them to remember you for whining and complaining that you were looking for special treatment or handouts? Or would you like to be remembered for fighting to get what you deserve? You see, history books are full of stories of fighters and victories. There isn't much written about losers and beggars. And here's a known fact. You all know Michelangelo? You've heard of the Sistine Chapel? Well, we all know Michelangelo painted the, uh, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, right? But we don't know much about the guy who held the ladder. History belongs to the victorious, and it's the victorious that create history. My Muslim friends always complain about being stereotyped, and I ask them some very simple questions. Where in America is there a leader of the peaceful American Muslim people? Why is there no peaceful protest when the terrorists attack American citizens? Why do we never hear of American Muslims criticizing these barbaric acts? Your silence is deafening, and when you say nothing, you allow perceptions to be created. Do something, say something. I tell them the world owes nobody anything. In life, you're not given what you wish for. You're given what you work for. Diversity is not a one-way process. It's a two-way process. If you're out to implement diversity, you need to be respected, understood, and valued for what you're trying to do. If your counterparty is not doing any of these three things, you cannot have diversity. You just have a statistic. The famous comedian Chris Rock recently said in The Hollywood Reporter that Hollywood is a white industry. What's the point in your statement, Chris? The hip-hop industry is a black industry. I don't see many whites having an issue with that. In fact, I think there are only two whites in the hip-hop industry. Vanilla Ice, well, he melted away. Um, and then Eminem. There are more blacks in Hollywood, but fewer whites in hip-hop. But really, who cares? Some things are what they are. Why make a statement and leave it hanging? You see, one can always find issues in life. Very few find solutions, and even fewer offer perspective. 
People will always fight for their beliefs and lifestyles to be accepted. That's the beauty of living in the free world. And because of this, diversity is always going to be on the increase. You as leaders need to recognize that the world is becoming a smaller place, but our differences are increasing. Our job is to manage it by having to broaden our mindset, understand the differences that exist, but most of all, provide equal opportunity and awareness to everyone in order to make the right judgment for the given objective. Remember that the purpose of what you're trying to do is create a relation between two unidentical entities for two reasons. Success, progress. There are many skills you'll need in your missions abroad. In fact, some will encourage you to learn a language. But the more important skill is the ability to listen. Knowing a language is a great qualification. The ability to listen is a quality that will never fail you. Understanding. Understand the message you hear. This will enable you to evaluate it. All good decisions come from evaluation, but you can only evaluate if you understand the message. In turn, you being understood is critical. Don't let your counterparty misunderstand you or your mission. You need to gain trust because you cannot get the right information if you don't have trust. Be very aware of the difference between culture and religion. Culture is man-made. Religion isn't. Don't be brainwashed. The status quo is not always right. It's not always wrong either. Use common sense. And when you get confused, like I sometimes do, think at a higher level. Think about what would be best for mankind. Because that is ultimately how you will be judged down the road of time. Do what is morally right. That's never going to prove you wrong. And all of this culminates in you being not just equipped as a warrior, but as an adaptable leader. For diversity to truly work, we need to do one thing, and that one thing is to ensure that we give equal opportunity to everyone. I, I, I watch TV sometimes, and I see the commercials of, of the army. Um, but I see them in uh, certain types of channels that attract maybe the majority of, of the viewership. But diversity is about addressing the minorities. And I don't see a lot of the commercials in um, uh, the Asian channels. And, 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 the, and they do come, but it's like short bursts. That doesn't show any form of commitment from the army to the minorities. That's a perception the communities feel. We need to rethink because obviously you, you don't want to follow um, uh, the statistics of maximum viewership. That's not the point here, is it? Selection should be on merit and for those who display the right talent, the right attitude, and who can contribute to the progress of mankind. By doing so, diversity automatically follows. Today's world is the result of yesterday's work. Tomorrow's world is the result of today's work. Our children will judge us not by our riches, but by the lives that we enriched through the opportunities we provided each other. Our success will be determined by the progress we've made as a civilization and not by how we segregated gender, race, color, or anything else. Progress has no caste, color, or creed. The best man for the job is not a gender. The best man for the job is not a color. 
The best man for the job is one who gets it done. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a lot to be proud of. That doesn't mean we stop learning. Part of being proud is that we are humble enough to continue learning. Make sure that your outreach is always beyond your reach. And only then can progress be achieved. You do not fight in vain. You fight with valor. You guard our nation and you guard our values. In life, where one is from is less important than where one is at. But more importantly, the key concern should be where one is going. If you ever have a weak moment, if ever you have doubt, let me give you an excerpt from a little boy who wrote this essay about what he wants to be when he grows up. Many people want to have different and successful careers. Some people want to be an athlete or businessman. Other people might want to be an actor or a banker. I would like, there are many possibilities, but there is one thing I would like to be. The first thing I would like to do is join the army. Many people say I will get killed, but I'm still brave enough to join. I hope the army takes me in. This boy is my son. And it's people like you that inspire him. I thank you for being that inspiration. You make America great. And on that note, I wish you, dare I say it, a very Merry Christmas. <laughs>